Thanks for checking out the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. With the conflict in the Middle East set to intensify, Hamilton police say they are ready. We're also talking about gas prices, a study on driving habits, and the Ticats and Bulldogs are both in action. The GMH podcast begins now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Tensions rising in this community, many communities, and uh, obviously in other parts of the world with what is happening in the Middle East, so much so that the RCMP is saying it is aware of social media posts threatening the Jewish community here in Canada. The RCMP isn't answering questions about the social media threats, but is calling it a time for increased vigilance. Police in Toronto, Ottawa and Vancouver have already increased patrols in response to the Israeli-Hamas war, but have not identified any specific local threats. Ontario Provincial Police issued a statement this morning saying it's aware of global online threats of violence regarding the situation in the Middle East. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press. Thank you, Don. Hamilton Police also issuing a statement saying that they are monitoring the situation. And here to talk about that is Hamilton Police Constable Krista Lee Ernst. Krista Lee, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Rick. Thank you so much for having me to discuss this important conversation within our community. So what is Hamilton Police doing, uh, I guess, starting today and this weekend? So what I can tell you is that we do understand that the evolving situation in the Middle East is going to rise concerns and questions within our community about the potential impact that it has locally. While we'll continue to primarily focus on maintaining safety within our jurisdiction, we're committed to keeping the community informed and safe. It's our top priority to ensure the safety and well-being of all of our residents. And we're going to continue actively monitoring the situation, collaborating with all of our other uh, local, provincial, federal authorities, and assess any impacts that may return into our community. Now, certainly everyone has the right to, uh, you know, express their opinion about things, and and I'm sure there's going to be rallies, as there have been, whether it's pro-Israel, pro-Palestine. Are we expecting to see an increased police presence? What I can tell you is that we will be increasing our police presence in those areas of concern or anything that um, may have an, like we will continue our ongoing engagement with faith communities and um, support their security and comfort during these um, impacts that may be coming to us locally. We urge any community um, member to remain vigilant, informed, if they see anything suspicious that may be out of the ordinary to always call our non-emergency line at 905-546-4925. But also, we want you, if you observe an imminent threat, to be calling 911 without hesitation. We need to stand together, we need to support one another, and we need to maintain our strong community bonds. When individuals are having discussions, we need to be respectful of those, uh, be empathetic for one another's perspectives. You mentioned potential areas of concern in the city. Does that go beyond City Hall, in which from time to time we see some rallies uh, at City Hall? So in uh, situations where we increase patrol, what does that look like? That's a great question, Rick. And um, what I can say is that um, religious sites will definitely see an increased uh, presence. Uh, Areas of city hall, such 
as potential demonstrations that may occur, we will be present uh, and we will manage any potential disruptions um, that occur from those demonstrations. And we will continue to, to monitor anything that's going to be bringing it back locally. Um, we encourage anyone in our community to follow our official website and our, our official social media channels for updates. And also never hesitate to reach out with any areas of question or concern because we are committed to working uh, to maintain the safety and security of our community. Is, uh, is the likelihood of the mounted units going to be used uh, this weekend um, high or, or are they on standby? How does that work? What I can tell you is that that is a tool that is uh, utilized and uh, those uh, resources are deployed when we do have uh, demonstrations and protests. And if uh, that is the case within the community, then the likelihood of using that resource is, is present. Constable Crystal Lee Ernst, thanks for the time and uh, for the update on how Hamilton police are monitoring the situation today and throughout the weekend. Thanks so much, Rick. I just want everyone to know to stay safe, stay informed, and look out for one another. Great tips and advice. Thank you, Crystal Lee. All right. Take care, Rick. That is Constable Ernst Hamilton Police. They are certainly, as uh, the statement uh, says, monitoring the situation, whether it's a rally at City Hall or a religious site. We know that hate crimes are taken seriously in this community. Threats against any individual or group will be taken very seriously by Hamilton Police. So, as Crystal Lee mentions, stay safe, monitor uh, social media channels, the Hamilton Police website, and of course, stay tuned to 900 CHML for any breaking news on this front. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, this war is uh, going to intensify in the days to come. At least that is the expectation because Israeli President, uh, President Benjamin Netanyahu is vowing they will crush and destroy Hamas ahead of an expected ground offensive in the Gaza Strip, so much so that the Israeli military says it is going to operate with significant force in Gaza in the coming days and is calling on civilians to evacuate the northern part of the sealed-off territory so it can strike more Hamas militants responsible for Saturday's bloody attack on Israel. The IDF calls for the evacuation of all civilians from Gaza City, from their homes southwards, for their own safety and protection and to move to the area south of Wadi Gaza, the river Gaza. Dr. Mira Sukharov is an award-winning professor and associate chair in the Department of Political Science at Carleton University. Dr. Sukharov, good morning. How are you? I'm okay considering what's going on. Thanks for having me. It sounds like things are about to get really bad. Yes, they're already very bad and... Uh, we're all watching with trepidation, bracing for um, for more devastation, and still reeling from uh, Hamas's massacre on Saturday. We've tackled this from a number of different angles, and today I wanted to focus on the geopolitical ramifications because there are a number of players at the table or near the table when it comes to this conflict. What are some of the things that you're anticipating may happen in the next several weeks? Well. The, I mean, the worst, the the most pressing thing is the humanitarian disaster unfolding in front of our eyes, and the the serious trauma that Israelis are undergoing, uh, with their sort of equivalent of of a 9/11 having happened. Um, in terms of geopolitically, we're going to see Israel being um, Israeli uh, alliances being tightened. Um, 
most Western powers are standing very closely with Israel in the wake of the attack on Saturday, the unprecedented Hamas attack. What we had seen unfold before was that Israel and Saudi Arabia had been talking about a normalization deal, sort of a softening of relations, a closening of relations. And what's quite likely is that Saudi Arabia will pull away from that deal, from from that potential deal, and Hamas uh, would be very happy to see that happen. Hamas wants to see Israel isolated as much as possible. Um, and Iran is certainly quite pleased with what's been happening, with, with or with, sorry, is, Iran is quite pleased with seeing uh, Hamas having scored a, uh, a somewhat pyrrhic victory um, in its big uh, uh, surprise, devastating attack on, on Israelis civilians on Saturday. You mentioned Iran, uh, and a lot, there's a lot of speculation that they uh, were at the table and coordinating this. Is there any evidence of that? Well, not necessarily direct evidence, but certainly uh, Iran and Hamas are very close, and, and Iran uh, is known as a, as a major funder of Hamas. What is the long-term play for Hamas, and, and might it come to an end with this Israeli offensive? Whether Hamas will be entirely destroyed is quite unlikely. Um, it's just very hard to do that to this kind of um, non-state actor, um, unlawful combatants, and there can be uh, many more supporters of Hamas ready to, to join Hamas ranks, and certainly that is very likely given the scale of the Israeli uh, offensive or counteroffensive right now on the Gaza Strip. I mean, there, there's when you have so much uh, violence and destruction, uh, the the likely outcome is is a uh, intensifying of support for the group that 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 claims to stand in your name. And the likelihood is that this is going to be a rather lengthy conflict. Uh, I mean, it has been for decades, but in, at least in terms of this latest iteration, uh, weeks, if not months, uh, will go by before any clear victor is decided or, or any uh, stoppage in this conflict is, is agreed upon. When it comes to that, how do you see the role of, of Israeli supporters, uh, most importantly Canada, the U.S., the U.K., the G7 nations? What, what kind of involvement do you expect from those countries? Well, right now we see them standing very closely with uh, Israel, and I think it's important for them to also think about the broader context in terms of uh, thinking about the humanitarian catastrophe in Gaza, thinking, um, urging Israel to be to adhere to laws of war, to distinguish between combatants and civilians, insofar as that is possible in a in a dense urban setting like the Gaza Strip. And uh, I think it's going to be very important that Israel's supporters, including Canada, talk and think very clearly and closely about all civilian lives, Israeli and Palestinians in Gaza right now, as well as continuing to press Israel on its human rights violations in the West Bank. I mean, settlers are already taking advantage of this moment to attack Palestinian civilians as they uh, continue to do in the West Bank, and I think all eyes have to be on all uh, uh, all uh, human suffering between uh, the river and the sea right now. Yeah, and part of that is the basically the evacuation of these 1.1 million people in North Gaza to to leave their homes, and and it sounds like they're going to not have much to go back to. Oh, they're going to have not much to go back to, and they're also there's not really anywhere for them to go to. I mean, they can crowd in a little bit further south within that 
overpopulated, tiny uh, strip of land uh, between nestled between Israel and the Mediterranean Sea. So there's really not much option for them. Remember, Israel controls the airspace, the sea access, and the ground entries along the two ground entries, one Israel controls and the other Egypt controls. There's really nowhere for, for Gazans to go. And even if they were to leave, I know Israel's just saying they should go a little bit further south, but if they were to leave the Gaza Strip, it's not clear, it's very unlikely that they'd be even allowed back in. So it would be a second uh, refugee experience for them, most of whom were descendants, are descendants of, of refugees from Israel in 1948. Yes, about to get uh, even worse, and that is uh, something to behold, considering what happened uh, last weekend. Uh, Dr. Sukharov, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much for your time and insight this morning. You're welcome. Dr. Mira Sukharov is an award-winning professor and associate chair in the Department of Political Science at Carleton University with an expertise in Israeli-Palestinian relations and Jewish politics. A lot to absorb there. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. I've read a number of different articles on the impact of this war between Israel and Hamas. And by all accounts, this weekend, it's, it's expected to... Uh, get worse, I guess, if I can say that. Things are expected to intensify with the uh, Israel Defense Forces warning, putting out a warning to people in Gaza, especially in the northern part of that area, to get out. To leave. It's a 24-hour kind of notice, and then we're expecting a ground offensive to begin. And, and some of the stories that I've read about the impacts of this kind of vary, and in, inclusive in that is how it will affect fuel prices. Will the war between Israel and Hamas impact gasoline prices, impact diesel prices here or elsewhere? Dan McTagg is the president of Canadians for Affordable Energy and joins us on Good Morning Hamilton. Dan, good morning. How are you? <laughs> Hello, Dan. Do we have you? Yeah, we do. Yep, hey, I'm here. so I've, I've read a couple of different articles on, you know, some people believe that it will have a negative impact on uh, fuel prices. Others saying, no, nah, it's not going to be that uh, extraordinary in terms of the, the volatility. W- what are you hearing? Well, Rick, it's day to day. Had we done this interview yesterday morning, I would have solidly been in the camp of saying, hey, nothing to see. Let's move on. Markets, uh, in fact, uh, shed what, uh, what amounts to two cents a liter on the price of gasoline. So tomorrow here in in Hamilton, the GTA, uh, and most of Ontario, you're going to see a two cent decrease to about a dollar forty-seven point nine from the high we saw uh, we're seeing today of one forty-nine point nine. Having said that, um, developments have taken place overnight, and uh, you mentioned, uh, of course, the uh, uh, the the moves uh, in potentially northern uh, uh, northern Gaza, um, but and and possibly a military. Uh, operation uh, with with Israeli soldiers moving in, but there are two bigger factors that have now struck in the past hour or two. Um, the U.S. has uh, firmed up its uh, uh, resolve to further sanction Russian oil. Uh, that has oil moving up about three and a half bucks a barrel this morning. Uh, that also means about a seven or eight cent a gallon increase, which uh, means about possibly a two or three cent increase come Sunday. Uh, there's that, and of course now Iran may be uh, working with its uh, its uh, uh, you know, proxy uh, Hezbollah, who it funds, and much like Hamas, uh, to uh, to also get involved. And if that happens, of course, then it becomes uh, a much more uh, geopolitically tense situation, uh, with implications not just obviously for the world, but obviously uh, 
to uh, to put it very bluntly to, on energy prices. So I don't think energy prices are going to remain stable uh, where they are now, or we've seen this drop. We saw a bit of a spike, uh, Rick, on Monday. You know, oil went up three bucks a barrel and completely dropped off, but it uh, looks like this time it's going to stay. So, it, it, I mean, this part of the world, there's obviously some heavy oil-producing nations for sure. Israel and obviously Gaza by extension are not. I think there's only two refineries from the research that I've done in Israel. So they're not a ma- major player, although some of the other countries around them are. So, you know, my my you know inclination is any, uh, any kind of instability in this part of the world is going to cause some jitters on the markets. Correct. Yeah, let me take off my uh, energy hat uh, and go back to my foreign affairs hat. Yeah. I did serve this country for three, four years uh, as point man for Canadians abroad. Um, the attempt, uh, the, what Hamas did, uh, was to uh, you know to do such a despicable thing uh, was also to get Iran and Israel and uh, sorry uh, Israel and Saudi Arabia not to come to an agreement uh, and share uh, you know the, the sort of detente between uh, Muslims and uh, and, and uh, Israel. Uh, they may have succeeded in that regard. We don't know at this point. But uh, what this does is inflates well beyond, uh, you know, the issue of, uh, you know, these uh, Hamas and uh, Israel. It now may very well bring in the entanglement of uh, Iran, who has been pretty chummy, uh, not just with uh, uh, with China, but also with, uh, with Russia. And uh, now you can see where this is going to start to lead. Uh, as Israel uh, moves in to do what it has to do to protect itself, to defend itself, it's going to ostracize it, and that will make larger players with a lot of oil uh, able to uh, perhaps, uh, you know, at the very least, uh, use this as a, as a weapon or a wedge uh, to drive up prices. Uh, they're not interested in North America. They're not interested in Europe. But, Rick, it comes back to my plea to Canadians for the past little while, for God's sakes. We're the third largest provable uh, reserves in the world of oil. We've got to get our oil to market. Uh, this is now becoming a very serious geopolitical situation, and we're just in the first inning. Will this, because uh, as you mentioned off the top, uh, you know, the U.S. has increased exchanging sanctions against Russian oil. There is talk that it's going to do the same with Iran. I know it's already got some sanctions against that nation. Um, would this be the precipice or the final kind of thrust forward for Canada to say, okay, we, we have to now get more of our product onto the market? Well, it does, but it comes with a, with a, something of a, you know, a, a puzzling response by Canadians, which is, hey, America, we had a pipeline called the Keystone XL pipeline, which would have delivered you a million barrels of that oil you desperately need. You killed it. It was your first act of government. So now you find yourselves in a bit of a pickle. What are we going to do? Uh, you put it on rail and uh, send it down. Maybe it'll hasten the move for the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion, the one that the B.C. government and every climate activist has been trying to fight. That's cost you and I about $36 billion by the time it's said and done, or at least we're on the hook for that. That's, by the way, is $1,000 per head in this country, in case anybody was uh, doing the math, maybe even a little bit more than that. At the end of all of this, uh, Canada's going to have to smell the coffee, wake up, as <laughs> we're all doing this morning, and realize that it's uh, not just its oil, but it's natural gas. Uh, we're the fifth and sixth largest, uh, you know, reserves in the world, along with the United States. We could be, you know, we could do something with those 18 LNG projects, which would have probably generated 150, 200 billion dollars uh, in economic activity for Canada. I don't want to look back and say we should have, could have. I think now it's time to have a very different discussion in, in this world. We need energy security in order to have geopolitical stability, in order to ensure that countries like Canada, which are much cleaner when it comes to producing energy, actually get their product to market. Anybody out there, including our prime minister, who says there's bus- no business case, has no business making those decisions. 
Absolutely. We got 30 seconds. So are, are fuel prices expected to rise uh, with this volatility yeah. and instability right now? Yeah, Rick, starting uh, Sunday, I would uh, book in probably a three, maybe even a four cent increase. So today uh, it's 149.9, high end here, uh, dropping to 147.9, back up to about 150.9 come Sunday, and it'll stay that way at least until Wednesday. Let's watch what happens over the next several days because there's no movement really until uh, markets uh, get back to work on uh, on Wednesday. All right, we on shall Monday see. for Wednesday's prices. We shall see where it uh, goes from there on in. Dan, always appreciate your time. Thanks for waking up with us today. Great to be here. Thanks, Rick. Have a great weekend. You too. Dan McTague, President of Canadians for Affordable Energy. That instability in the Middle East uh, leading to some instability at the pumps. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Cool new study out of McMaster University is aiming to understand the driving habits of aging Hamiltonians and ultimately how they can keep safe when they're driving into their later years. It's called the Road Skills Study, and it's looking for healthy adults between the ages of 65 and 79 to figure out how they're driving and what improvements they can attain in the years to come, if that is possible. Brenda Verkleon is the professor at the School of Rehabilitation Science at McMaster University, also a trained occupational therapist, and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Brenda, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick, and happy Occupational Therapy Month. Well, yeah, same to you. Thanks for mentioning that. Um, listen, why why is this being done? Why do we need to help older drivers? Do we get worse as we get behind the wheel? Uh, Rick, it's a great it's a great question, and it's a question uh, that uh, people are working on uh, across in terms of across different sectors. So, myself as a researcher and an occupational therapist, as well as uh, others at the policy level, um, the the importance of being behind the wheel and getting to the places that are important to us is is critical. Uh, we, we obviously think about walking, but driving and walking go hand in hand, really, um, in terms of being able to do the things that are important to us, the occupations, hence the reason I'm called an occupational therapist. It's the things we do that occupy our time. And often those things are out of our home, in our community, with people we like or even love, um, seeing family. And, and we want to make sure we support uh, people to be able to get to, uh, to the places that are important to them. So all that to say that we know with age we experience uh can experience changes uh and that's normal actually it's normal to uh experience changes in our sight uh of course some of these things uh need to be uh monitored right because they can move into an area where we do have medical interventions that can help um, but unfortunately, some of these changes can accumulate and that can result in people having to see uh, or drivers having to see people like me, uh, occupational therapists to figure out if they've crossed that line. All of that to say, we actually need to start these conversations earlier with people. Uh, we need to be aware of the changes that are happening. I know many of your listeners on the line are driving. I'm really glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going and doing important things like helping our society, uh, you know, uh, you know, Know, get to products to different places and uh, and also uh, helping kids get to school, all of those things. So driving really is a means to be able to do the things that are important to us. So we need to understand it more um, and be able to provide tips. So how is this study going to work? 
Yeah, so um, using the latest technology, and it's a partnership with the Master Automotive uh, Resource Centre, and you may have driven by it on Longwood. It is has a big green letters mark, uh, is for short. And within that facility, uh, there are engineers working very hard on the design of the automobile, uh, electrification of the automobile, which we know is still expensive, but certainly uh, coming down uh, in price and becoming more common. Um, so, so we need to make our vehicles more clean. Uh, we're also adding technology to the car and, and engineers are designing that. So we need to understand uh, how this technology is impacting uh, people and drivers. So uh, there's a device that will go into people's car, much like a dash cam. Uh, we're looking for people 65 to 79. And in fact, we've had an incredible response from the Hamilton community based on the article that was in the spectator. So we actually have lots of people who've uh, volunteered, but uh, so we're interested in the 65 to 79 because here in Ontario at age 80, uh, we do have a program, lots of you know discussion about that program, but it's called the Senior Driver Renewal Program. And we're, again, as I said, we want to capture people's driving habits earlier and uh, start to open up a conversation about some of those changes and to make people aware that, yeah, our, we're changing. We can we can be more aware of those. Uh, pay attention at intersections, which can be uh, particularly dangerous places for pedestrians, for other road users. So we just want to make sure that everybody stays uh, safe behind the wheel. Is the expectation, Brenda, to uncover maybe a, a common denominator when it comes to uh, bad driving habits that we develop? Are you expecting to see that? Um, so I, I know we focus on the negative a lot, uh, Rick, and I think there's lots of strengths. So I'm going to say as well, our older drivers are actually one of the safest uh, groups on the road. I will say that as uh, we get into sort of a special group, as I've talked about, where some of those changes uh, uh, can accumulate. But you know what? We all have bad habits uh, behind the wheel. And I was saying yesterday that, uh, you know, we might point a finger at the cars around us. Be careful which finger you're pointing, of course. Uh, but that means there's four fingers pointing back at us in terms of our own habits, right? We make mistakes if we can be a little bit more aware of those. Of course, technology is helping uh, with blind spots, with helping us brake faster uh, when a car breaks in front of us. But we still need to monitor and pay attention to that uh, technology. Uh, we're still responsible behind the car. Uh, things are advancing, but uh, for now, uh, we are still in charge of our cars. And I know you said you got a tremendous response. Are you still looking for participants? You know what? Uh, we are because we are also looking for people to volunteer with the EcoCar uh, engineering students. And they're looking to have conversations and learn more about driving across a lifespan from people who are very experienced. And uh, and so we're working with, uh, with that team. They're in a competition. Uh, Rick, they are one of 18 teams across North America, only two from Canada. Um, and one of their deliverables is to speak uh, to older adults to understand uh, the differences, to understand mobility. Mobility. At the end of the day, this is about mobility, right? And driving being one means to be able to do that. So it's going to be a great learning experience. Uh, to, for people to be able to contact us, it's easy. Email is the easiest. You're not surprised to hear that. that. So macage at mcmaster.ca. So M-A-C-A-G-E at mcmaster.ca. And we'll get back in touch with them. And really quick before we go, when do you expect to uncover some of the results? Because I'd love to follow up. 
Oh, you know what? I I would love to follow up too, Rick. Uh, it's really important that we have, you know, once we collect the data that we share results with the community. And that's really important to me as a researcher. I'm often out in the community speaking to people and I partner with older drivers. This project was actually a partnership in terms of its design. So we are going to be collecting data over the next six months. These devices are expensive. So we have to enroll people in waves. So it's going to take a little bit of time. So be patient, but I expect uh, we'll have some results uh, by the summer. Well, that should be exciting. Brenda, thank you for the time and good luck with this. Thank you very much and thanks for having me and drive safely everybody. You got it. You too. Brenda Verkleon is a professor at the School of Rehabilitation Science, McMaster University and a trained occupational therapist. If you want to get involved, email macage at mcmaster.ca You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Big game tonight. Tie Cats. Lions, Tim Hortons Field, a Hamilton win, and they're tied for second. And then all eyes are on Montreal as they take on the Edmonton Elks this weekend. And it's the first regular season game for Ticats quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell. So hopefully we hear a little more of this. Bo Levi Mitchell back to pass, end zone, touchdown, Omar <laughs> Bayless. Couple of great passes from Bo Levi Mitchell. They were on their 12, two passes later. They've got a touchdown. Also in the house tonight is the Ticats alumnus of distinction. Uh, an awesome linebacker back in his day, one of the big forces in the Canadian Football League, a Grey Cup champion, Jawan Armour, joins us on GMH. Jawan, good morning. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? I am fantastic. From the Miami Red Hawks all the way to the NFL and then the CFL, man, you had an awesome career. I did. I did. I, I, and I really enjoyed it. It was, um, it was an absolute privilege to have the honor of playing in the NFL as well as the CFL and the experience and memories, um, I wouldn't trade them for anything. So you're coming back to Hamilton tonight. It's uh, two of your old teams, Ticats and BC Lions duking it out. What are you expecting? I'm expecting an exciting game. Well, it's always exciting in Hamilton. The, the fans are awesome. Um, very blue-collar town, hard-nosed uh, grinders. And so uh, it, it's going to be exciting. One of the best atmospheres that I have the pleasure of playing in um, and playing another team that you know that brought me into the CFL with BC Lions, uh, Wally Buono and company. Uh, it was just, uh, it's going to be exciting atmosphere, especially with the playoffs being in lieu, uh, number one contention and, 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 you know, so many things at play. It, it's definitely going to be a thrill. You were with the Ticats in 2006-07. What are, what are some of your memories of being in Hamilton, playing with the guys on those teams? I think just, just being embraced um, by the CFL culture was um, the part, big, biggest, best part of that. Uh, we had an amazing core of athletes. Our, our linebackers were tremendously athletic with um, Otis Floyd, Darren Simpson, uh, Carl Kidd, NFL legends, some future Hall of Famers. Uh, and we, the, the camaraderie among the players uh, was probably one of the best experiences that I've had playing professional football. Uh, and it was no different when I got to Hamilton. Uh, the, the, I actually had a chance to say this to, to Mike Morelli and Hitchcock on the radio show is that you know, one thing about coming to um, Canada, I had older players that really took me in and kind of nurtured me and helped me understand the game up there. In D.C., it was the defensive coordinator for Hamilton Tiger Cats, Mark Washington. And in Hamilton, it was Hitchcock himself. And so to have players, you know, um, kind of introduce you to a foreign game, tell you the ins and outs, tell you how – you know, the differences with the hashes being tighter, the field being bigger, the end zone being bigger, it really gives you a, a, a opportunity to compete at a high level 
without knowing those things, you don't know, you know, the proper technique, the proper stance. And for American players, it's hard to make it up there. So, you know, having older players, the camaraderie really um, – walk me through that process, was able to kind of contribute to the success that I've had up there. You were in the NFL from 99 to 02. Had you even considered the CFL? Had you even heard about it before then? I did. I did hear about the CFL. Bob uh, Obilovich, um, one of the scouts from BC Lions, uh, a CFL legend, he recruited me out of high school. Uh, I'm not sorry, not high school. He recruited me out of college. Um, and he that's what he told me. He said if the NFL doesn't work out, um, I'll be waiting on you, and he and he held true to his word. Um, and, and really, the the thing about the NFL was that I played linebacker in college and was drafted to play um, strong safety in NFL. Bigger backs. I was in the AFC North: Jerome Bettis, Jamal Lewis, Eddie George, uh, Travis Prentice at since uh, Cleveland. So it was the safety. The bigger safety was was conventional. Um, Donovan Darius, for example. Troy Palomalu, guys that can come down in the box and play like linebackers. But when the game evolved to the spread, you have to have guys that cover like defensive backs now, like DBs, like corners. And so the game kind of evolved without me. Um, and with the NFL going to the spread, I wanted to finish my career playing a position that I love, which is linebacker. And that's what uh, CFL, BC Lions, Calgary Stampeders, Hamilton Tiger Cats provided for me. Oh, and you played it well. We got uh, 40 seconds. What are you up to now? Um, I consult now. I consult now. I work with school districts to improve culture, climate. I work with schools and communities to reduce violence. Um, that's really um, at the heart uh, of what I do. I provide interventions for communities, children that come from backgrounds very similar to mine, and try to improve their, their quality of life, improve their school experience, improve their decision making. And it's been extremely fulfilling uh, and rewarding uh, on, on so many levels. I'm enjoying it. We also have schools that are in Canada um, that use the curriculum that I support, Seven Mindset. It's a tremendous curriculum, and it really goes back to having school, having young people uh, identify what they love, what are their passions, and the skills that they need to pursue those passions so they can live their ultimate life. Uh, and it's been extremely fulfilling. That is awesome to hear. You were a difference maker on the field, and now off the field, you're still making a difference in your community and beyond. Juwan, congratulations on that. Best of luck going forward, and enjoy the game tonight. Thanks for uh, joining us today. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Appreciate you guys taking the time with me. Thank you. Juwan Armour, Ticats alumnus of distinction tonight as Hamilton hosts the BC Lions. Our pregame show begins at 6, kickoff on the Ticats Audio Network, and 900 CHML is at 7. Join us after the game for the fifth quarter, brought to you by Eastgate 4. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Bulldogs now call Brantford home, and they are in action tonight at the Brantford Civic Center, hosting... The Peterborough Peets. How did their opening weekend go in the telephone city? Well, let's ask someone who was there calling the action. Reed Duffy, play-by-play announcer with the Brantford Bulldogs, who joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Reed, good morning. How's it going? Great, Rick. Great. It's great to uh, talk to you again. How's things with you? Not too bad at all. How was game number one at the Brantford Civic Center last weekend? Wow. I think that the way to sum it up, Rick, would be special. That building, uh, so much history there from... All of uh, the greats that have rolled through Brantford going back to the Alexanders and the smoke and the blast and teams that have won championships there and to be the next in that lineage was really something special. And with all the upgrades that have been done to the building and 3,043 people lifting the roof off when Florian Jackeye potted the first Brantford Bulldogs goal on home ice. 
Um, it, it was really a special atmosphere and a special night to be a part of. And one of those nights where you kind of stand back at the end and go, wow. For those who are planning a trip down the 403 to go into Brantford, or for those who are listening from Brantford and eagerly anticipating a trip to the Civic Center to check out the team, talk a little bit about the renovations, because we know that millions of dollars and millions from owner Michael Anlauer have been poured into that facility. So what has been improved? Well, Michael Landlauer, in, in cooperation with the city of Brantford, have given the Bulldogs uh, every opportunity to have a top-of-the-line facility. Michael Landlauer always talks about being best in class. And when you see inside the Brantford Civic Center what has been done, it really is spectacular. So new state-of-the-art scoreboard that hangs above the ice, new glass, new boards, brand-new gondola for um, the broadcast position, uh, the TV uh, truck that's or the TV equipment that's usually in a truck is now up in that gondola. It's a built-in TV production area, as well as the in-house production goes there. A brand new locker room facility for the players. It was an, an addition on the back of the building that is just outstanding. The players have been raving about it uh, since they first got a chance to see it and actually get into it. Uh, th- there's so much that has been done. Each of the four corners of the arena now. As uh, there's three concessions and a merchandise uh, stand in the four corners on platforms that were built. Uh, the lobby was completely redone. Concession stands upgraded. Uh, I mean, it's it's really just the, the list is incredible, Rick. That is great to hear. Reed Duffy is the play-by-play announcer with the Brantford Bulldogs on the Bulldogs Audio Network. Joining us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. It is Brantford hosting Peterborough tonight at good old-fashioned East Division matchup. And when you look at the standings, uh, it's been a little bit of a slow start for the Dogs. They've won one. They've lost three. What do you make of this team so far? You know, Rick, I, I think it's a little bit misleading in the one and three. Really, the, the Bulldogs should have taken a, a game in, in the Sioux before the Sioux offense. Sioux, uh, you can put this prediction down right now, at least up until the trade deadline, and I think all season, the Sioux Greyhounds are going to score the most, the most goals in the OHL. Um, they, they have, I believe right now, it's the top five or uh, four or five uh, scores in the OHL in their lineup. And uh, one of the younger brothers of Avery Hayes, Travis Hayes, a 16-year-old, a big part of that. But that was the game that the Bulldogs could have taken to get them to 2-2. Two and two. Last weekend, they went from a 7 o'clock home date to a 2 o'clock road date the next day against the rested Mississauga team. I know Jay McKee and company will never use it as an excuse, but you could see in that game um, the, the legs just weren't there. It was an emotional lift the night before. These things happen. This is a chance for a little bit of a reset. Peterborough comes in tonight. They're coming off of a, a big game last night against the London Knights that went into overtime. The Bulldogs will now get them back-to-back tonight in Brantford, tomorrow night in Peterborough. So a chance to kind of flip the script on the scheduling a little bit. Uh, I, I was at practice yesterday. The team looks ready to go. They look excited. They look energized. A couple of losses is not going to get this team down. Merrick Van Acker essentially saying to me, if we're looking back in, in March on you know a game that we lost in September or October, we're not really worried about that right now. So they're really positive, Rick, and I think that's the key. Jay McKee and his coaching staff keeps this group really positive and going into a back-to-back in a matchup of the last two OHL champions, <laughs> that's going to be key. There are a number of exciting prospects on this Bulldogs team. Is there one or two that you're really anticipating is going to make that jump to that next level this year? I'm really glad that that's the, the, that's the way you phrased that, Rick, because we could go all day on the guys that are already NHL drafted and have had their uh, step forward moments. So let's go Jake O'Brien up front, the 16-year-old rookie 
that uh, was the eighth overall pick last year in the OHL priority selection draft. He's been fantastic to open up. He's got a supercomputer between his ears. He plays a 200-foot game, which is rare for a 16-year-old. Uh, he's got all the makings of a potential leader moving forward for this team, and he's learning from a guy in Captain Lawson Shirk, who is certainly going to show him the ropes of how to be that 200-foot player, that difference maker. I think Luca Testa, we haven't seen him yet this season. He's coming back from an injury that cut him short last season. Been watching him at practice. He looks phenomenal. Looks like a different player than the one that arrived in trade last year from London. He's healthy. He looks fast. He looks motivated. He looks like he, I mean, the work he put in in the gym is outstanding. And then on the back end, you really got to like the development in two guys, Callum Shinowski and Daniel Chen, 206s who are going to take some time this season. I think uh, in the in the first game this season, there was 18 games of OHL experience between the two of them, all of them belonging to Callum Shinowski. So they're going to take some time to get into it, but they both have the tools. Shinowski is a two-way dynamic player that can move the puck. He can defend. He could run a power play if the opportunity arose. Daniel Chen is a six foot four hundred and ninety pound defenseman out of the U18 draft who converted from forward a couple of years ago. The strides he's already made are monumental and I think he's going to be a big part of a shutdown group for the Bulldogs as they move forward. Uh, you look at two guys like Chen and Van Vliet, and I would not want to skate into the Bulldog zone against that. <laughs> uh, lastly, we got about a minute. You mentioned Jay McKee. How important do you think it is to have a, uh, you know, a solid coaching staff that knows how to get the job done? They have that championship pedigree to mold, you know, a, a brand new team. As we know, the OHL is very cyclical to mold the team into what they want it to be by playoff time. Absolutely huge, Rick, and especially this group, Jay McKee. Andreas Carlson, Andrew Campbell, Laura Fortino, that group of coaches, now Owen Brunell is video coach. They know what it takes to win in this league, all of them. They've all either played in the pros, they've won championships in the OHL in Owen Brunell's case, they've uh, won Olympic gold in Laura Fortino's case. They know what it takes to win, and they know what it takes to win in the Ontario Hockey League and to put a team together that can do that. And they have the, the recipe for success, and they know how to get the players to buy in. When you look to a man along the Bulldogs bench and in that room, every one of those players buys into what Jay McKee on through that staff is doing. And I think that's the biggest key. There's no question marks over whether you're going to get full effort out of the players. Some nights it's not going to go your way. That's just the way it is. But you're going to get 100% out of this team every night. And I think that's what sets them up for success, Rick. That coaching staff has them all ready to go. Reed, thank you for the time this morning. Have a great call tonight. Thank you very much. I'm already warming up the pipes. It'll be exciting to be back to it at home. Great talking to you. Reed Duffy, play-by-play announcer, Branford Bulldogs. They are in action tonight at home at the Civic Center against the Peterborough Peets. And then tomorrow night, back at it again, this time at the Peterborough Memorial Center. That should be a fun back-to-back. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast. Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode, and make sure you rate and review.